0: The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gam Podcast Network presented by Circus Sports. Circus Sports is back with their Circuit Survivor and Circuit Millions contests. $14 million up for grabs. Get all the details at circusports.com. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast Network. It is currently Friday night. July twenty first, and I'm your host as always, Scott Rochelle. Once again, going solo for this pod should be a fun one, but it is a bit of a shorter one because we only have six matches to go through. It is officially time for the semifinals in Bustad, Gustad, and Newport. So, looking forward to going through all six of those matches while also recapping what happened previously in those events. But before we get into any of the actual Uh, picks for the show. Got to recap what happened on the last episode, both from a lock and dog perspective and from a futures perspective. And starting off with the lock and dog, not great. Ended up losing the lock. Had the under in games in the Zverev-Mulcan match. Looked good early on. as Zverev did win the first set 6-4 and then he fell apart in the second set. Turned into a bit of a war, but Zverev was able to win. But of course, for our sake, didn't matter because the match went over. As for the dog pick, it was voided because we had the... Over in sets between Varius and an Emer, and that match ended up getting postponed. I'll get into why in a second, but going through the actual outrights with the quarter plays, which is what the main action we had was, overall, really, really good episode for the future. So, starting off with the quarters, we had Rude, which won, we had Musetti, which won, we had Rublev, which won not have Sarandolo. We took a flyer there hoping that Sarandolo would lose early, and that did not happen. So in three of four there in the quarters in Bustad for Gustad, we had Kikmanovic, we had Katchin, and we had Majed- uh, Majedovic. So Majedovic was in the three-to-one range, give or take. Katchin was the big underdog. At around 6-1, to which was nice for us. And Kekmanovic was the favorite at around plus 170. Unfortunately, we had Bergs at plus 475, who choked away that massive lead against Kekmanovic in the third set on Friday. So, ended up uh, getting three out of four right in that tournament as well. But we could have gotten a 6-1, to a plus 333, and a plus 475 in the same tournament. But Bergs ended up falling apart, so we had to settle for a smaller favorite there in Kikmanovic. We still got three out of the four, right? And as for Newport, we got one. We had Umber. That was basically it. We thought that uh, Thompson would end up getting through against Manorino. was a fun match, and Manorino beat him in three. And then for Isner and Mickelson, we weren't even close, but we did get Umber right, who we picked to win the tournament at around plus 900. So we do have outrights left in Every tournament, Uh, we had Kekmanovic to win the entire thing in Gestad, and we have Rude to win the whole thing in Bustad. So overall, nice episode for the Futures. Anytime you cash a 6-1 to quarter winner and uh, plus 333, that's a really good episode because a lot of those plays were plus money. So can't complain there. I know, of course, we did have some losers in those groups, but we made profit, so definitely a nice episode there. And hopefully, Kekmanovic and Umber. And Rude can win the entire thing, their respective tournaments, of course, so we can end up sweeping the finals as well. But anyway, time to get into the recap portion of what happened in the last episode and what happened over the course of the past week. So the last episode, I basically just recapped except for one piece, which is going to segue me into my recap of events. Our dog pick was Varius and Emer over two and a half sets and roughly half an hour or an hour before the match took place, the match was canceled and it was not because of injury or withdrawal. It was because Emer had officially been suspended for 18 months, according to the ITF. And there's a bit of layers to the story. So Emer was initially Accused of basically abandoning or ditching three separate drug tests, which you might remember is what happened with Brooksby a couple weeks ago. But Emer apparently was not there to actually take three separate drug tests. And as a result, he was suspended. Now, Emer claims he was charged with this exact same situation in 2022, and he ended up initially winning. And it was cleared by an independent tribunal in June of 2022. However, the ITF did appeal that decision, and it appears that appeal has been granted as the ITF now have officially suspended Emer for 18 months once again. Now, Emer had some quotes about it. He said, quote, having already been cleared once and wholeheartedly standing by the fact that I do not feel the third offense was committed, I find their decision to try me again and subsequently find me guilty unfair. So he also added a couple of other stuff. Uh, where he, the 18 months is an insane punishment, which I agree with. That's an insane punishment. Two and a half years is nuts. I mean, sorry, a year and a half is nuts. If you want to give somebody six months, okay, that's fine. But a year and a half is kind of crazy for somebody who didn't even fail a drug test. He a- avoided it, allegedly. That's a bit of, uh, ex- that's just an extremely harsh punishment, which I d- which I disagree with. If the person tests positive for drugs, then maybe you can argue that a year and a half is fair. But for not taking the test, A year and a half is a bit large there, so I can understand Emer's points. But it does seem like Emer feels pretty confident in his ability to get this uh, verdict, or I'd say ruling, uh, overruled once again. And I do think he's got a case. But of course, the point is Emer, as of right now, had to withdraw from that event because he was suspended. So as a result, our bet got voided. But that's a bit of a wild story there with Emer getting suspended because he apparently fled from three separate drug tests, so we'll see what happens there. Besides that news story, you had a really sad story, which shouldn't really surprise many on the ATP tour, and he was actually in a tennis match on Friday and ended up losing to Rublev. You had more news regarding Zverev, and you might remember Zverev was involved in a domestic violence issue or an assault issue, however you want to phrase it, about a year or two ago with his ex-girlfriend, and those charges were... Eventually cleared and Zverev was able to play without missing much time, if any time. And then reports came out over the past week that new, uh, multiple girlfriends, so multiple exes came forward once again and claimed that he abused them. So we're going to see what happens from that point forward. I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing that Zverev was able to participate in the actual event as the allegations came out. On one hand, it's not a good look, obviously, because tennis seems to be kind of turning the cheek, so to speak, to any type of issue regarding one of their young star players. On the other hand, it's innocent until proven guilty, at least in America. So you can make an argument that until something's actually proven against Varev, he should be able to keep playing because what if, for example, the woman is making the story up, or the women, in this case, are making the story up, then you're sabotaging this guy's career for no apparent reason besides a he-said-she-said situation. In reality, do I think he should have played this event? No. I think he probably should have ended up withdrawing. But I guess the argument is, once again, there's no real evidence at this point in time to fully find Zverev guilty, so why should he change his normal life? So that's kind of the other story there. Not a fun story, but I have to bring it up that Zverev once again has been linked to some domestic violence issues and assault charges against his ex-girlfriends. And looking at the final story here, it's actually going to be transitioning over to women's tennis because there was one extreme case of drama on the tennis court, which doesn't happen that often. It was in a match between Zhang and Toph, Now, full disclosure, I had no idea who Toth was going into this actual story, but there was a certain issue that happened in that tennis match. So starting off with the exact incident that occurred, Zhang hit a shot that was close to the line. It was ruled out. The chair umpire ended up going down and looking at it. Meanwhile, you look at the actual mark itself on the court. It's clearly on the line. I don't think it's very close. I think that is definitely in play. So the chair umpire comes down and says, nope, balls out. Sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, sucks to suck. And Zhang kind of just proceeded to rant for about two, three minutes talking about how he wanted to see the, She wanted to see the supervisor because that call was egregious. And Toth was just sitting there just watching Zhang kind of lose her mind. And Toth had enough. Now, Zhang pointed the spot once again, was basically going to ask the supervisor to look at it. And Toth proceeded to run over the mark and just completely wipe out all the evidence. Now, In addition to that, Zhang, after what happened, proceeded to have a panic attack and ended up having to retire mid-match on the chair. And then Toth's initial reaction when Zhang retired was to raise her hands up like she was Rocky going up the actual stairs to the library or the museum. I forgot what exactly he was going up the stairs to. You get my point? The iconic photo of Rocky jogging, getting to his destination and putting his hands up in some victorious celebration. That's what Toth did after her opponent had a mental breakdown and retired. It was really a scumbag move by her. I was more offended by the actual taunting than the actual decision to uh, wipe the mark. Now, Mark's bad sportsmanship. On the other hand, the chair empire made up her mind, and Jang was taking minutes to dispute the decision that was not going to be overturned. So I don't really know what the point of her stalling was. So Toth just had enough and decided to... Uh, wipe away the evidence even though the chair empire already came down and ruled that it was out so it wasn't like toth sabotaged a reviewing in process they did the review we just think that the review was flawed and that the chair empire was potentially blind so that was a bit of an issue there uh but once again when you taunt your opponent basically while she's having a panic attack that's a really bad look toth ended up losing in the next round anyway and her opponent who beat Toth ended up praising Zhang and basically telling her that everything's going to be okay in the end. So that was what happened in women's tennis, very weird situation, but bad sportsmanship was the story, and Toth was the culprit. So I don't think she's going to get suspended or anything like that, but definitely a bad look and expect people to boo her a lot. Anyway, now it's time to actually get into the match previews for uh, Saturday. Starting off with Gustad, because the matches will be starting there at 5 a.m. You have Kikmanovic taking on Ramos Vinolas. And for that one, Kikmanovic is a slight favorite at around minus 145. Ramos Vinolas is around plus 125. Over-under is 22.5. Slight juice to the under. And for the game spread here, Kikmanovic minus 1.5 is minus 113. Ramos Vinolas plus 1.5 is minus 107. If you want the match to go to three sets, you can get that at plus one thirty-five, and if you do want to take Kekmanovic to win in straight sets, you can get that at plus one seventy. So, for starters, I got to at least acknowledge how both players have looked so far in this event. And Kekmanovic looked really good in his first match against Stricker, and then he was on the ropes quite often in that second match against Bergs. In fact, he should have lost because he was down five three. In the third set, Bergs completely fell apart, lost the last four games of the match, and you ended up seeing Kekmanovic win 7-5 in the third. So he's a bit fortunate to actually be here. As for Almas Fanolas... He has gone to a couple of wars. In fact, every match he's been in in this event has gone to three sets. Beat Fognini in three, beat Sonigo in three, and beat Varius in three. So Ramos Fanoulos has had some wars, but once again, he's come through every time. And I do think that he's got the edge here because Ramos Fanoulos is a former champion at this event. So the fact that he has been here before and won means that he's extremely comfortable on this court, Kikmanovich looks fine, but I am a bit concerned once again about either a fatigue because he played a marathon match yesterday, or b his overall form in the grand scheme of things because Berg's once again is a relative unknown, talented young player that we picked to actually win the quarter at plus 275. But the fact that Kikmanovich had to dig deep, use a lot of energy to even get there, and the fact that he got himself into that bad point in the first place makes me believe he's a bit overvalued for this match. I'm going to go with Ramos Vinolas here at around plus 125. I think there's good value on it. And I also do like the over two and a half sets at plus 135. It's really just a great price for a guy that's constantly gone to three sets like Ramos Vinolas has. His level tends to go up and down. He's good in one set. Then he'll dip in the next set. Then he'll raise it back up again in the third set. And Kekmanovic, once again, has been a bit hit or miss. I do think you're going to end up seeing a bit of a marathon here. So give me the over two and a half sets at plus 135. And I'll lean to ramos Vinolas on the money line at, my, at a plus at 125. Now moving on to the second Match here in Gustad. you have Majedovic taking on Kachin. Kachin is a slight favorite at minus 130. Majedovic is plus 110. As for the spread, uh, Kachin is minus one at minus 111, and Majedovic is plus one at minus 109. The, the over-under for games is 23. The under is minus 118. The over is minus 102. So first of all, they've never faced in the head-to-head. Majedovic and Kachin actually both cashed outright fours. So we had Majedovic at around... Uh, plus 333 to win the quarter. We had catchin at around 6-1. to one. So catchin did us the bigger solid, which was a bit surprising because, once again, catchin had never done anything nice for me before. But I just like the value, and we ended up capitalizing, fading some of the older players there in that section. But I do think when you're looking at how these players have looked, Majedovic has looked good for the most part. Still went to three sets against Zhang and still went to three sets against Team. Kachin, though, has been rolling. catchin has not dropped a set yet, and he's beaten some good clay players. So catchin to go in order, in the first round, ended up beating Tyro Daniel six four six one, then beat Batista Agut, seven six seven six, 6 and Agut was the favorite in that quarter. Then he also beat Munar, 6 6-3, 6-3, and we, we know Munar is a clay specialist. So I think catchin has looked like the better player. The main concern that I have for Majedovic, even though he's a good server on clay, and he does pick up a lot of free points, it's double faulting. He does tend to hit a lot of unforced errors, and it does seem like he mentally can be a little bit volatile at times. I think Catchin can keep bo- enough balls in play to cause Majedovic to self-destruct mentally, and I do think that Catchin will be able to keep his cool more often than not, which should result in a nice win. Might go over. Uh, you might end up seeing a marathon, but I think that at the end of the day, when the dust settles, Catchin will get the job done. Give me Catchin money line at minus one thirty. I don't really see any better or I'd say any other plays there. If you want to take Kachin, minus one minus one-and-a-half sets, it's plus 190. Do I feel great about it? Not really, but it is Majedovic's first-ever ATP semifinal, so you can argue that nerves might get the better of him. I think catchin should win, though, because he has been in very good form so far in this event. But anyway, that's going to wrap it up for Gustad. Now it's time for Bustad, and you have a lot of chalk. In fact, I believe you have the four favorites in the... Quarters to actually uh, make it to the semis, and they all ended up winning. With the exception of maybe Rublev, you might have had uh, Zverev as a slight favorite over Rublev, but the point is not exactly a shock who's here. And for starters, for the first match, you have Musetti taking on Rude. Rude is minus 195 on the money line, and Musetti's plus 170. Rude is minus three on the game spread at minus 105. The plus three for Musetti is minus 115. Over-under is 22.5 and minus 110 on both sides. If you want an alt one uh, or some props, you can get uh, rude minus one and a half sets at plus 140. You can get the match to go three sets at plus 130. And if you want to get some alternative game spreads, you can get Musetti plus three and a half at minus 140. rude minus three and a half at plus 110. And the alternative over is 23 and a half. Over is plus 115. Under is minus 145. So they have faced off against each other twice. And to go through the actual history here, Musetti did win the most recent match against the, against each other. However, that was on hard court, so I'm not sure if that actually applies. They played in Paris in uh, 2022, and Musetti won that one in three. They did face off in Rome on clay in 2019, and Rude won that one in straight sets. Now, that was in 2019, so I'm not sure how applicable it is, but I will go by the overall current form of both players, and Rude has looked much more comfortable. Now, he's played, I'd say, weaker opponents, so you can make that argument, but when you're looking at... The overall path, he beat Shevchenko six two six four, and he beat Offner six three six four. Really, no sweat. Uh, Rude was up a break pretty early on in all four of those sets, and he coasted. But you're looking at Musetti. He had a war against Arnaldi, which went to a final set tiebreaker, and he had a fun three-set match against uh, Misselich which he lost the first set in, and then he ended up winning the next two sets pretty easily. But Musetti has gone to three sets against pretty weak competition that he was a decent favorite over, and I do think as a result, Musetti, even though he's a good clay court player, has not looked as sharp as he usually is on clay. Rude does. We know that people give Rude a hard time for being an ATP 250 expert, which is why I took him to win the event. Uh, Rude tends to pad his overall numbers in ATP 250s, and it does seem like it's the good spot in between Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, where before he makes the the transition over to hard court, he pads his resume a little bit and ends up picking up some 250s, uh, 250 titles, and that's why, once again, I picked him. I just think that Rude's the better player. Simply put, I know Musetti, once again, has the talent to make life difficult for Rude, but Musetti's not a great server. The one-handed backhand has given him some problems in this event. He's been good for the most part, but the unforced errors have been an issue, and I do think that Rude's topspin translates very well to this overall court. I think Rude wins pretty comfortably. I think Rude's straight sets at plus 140 is quite appealing. Musetti might win a set, which might send that prop into flames, but I do think when you're looking at where the value is, for minus 195, I think Rude should be a bigger favorite. I just think that he's looked at that much better than Musetti so far in this event. I'd have it at around 250 if I had to price it myself. We saw Rude make the uh, French Open final for the second straight year, even though he did not win in either of those because he faced off against Nadal and Djokovic. The point is he's easily a top three, top four clay player in the world. So the fact that he is on the upper echelon of clay talent and I think you could easily say that Musetti's either on the second tier or third tier of clay tennis. I just think that Rude's the better player on the surface, and I think that as a result, Rude should be able to wear down Musetti over the course of this match, not to mention fatigue, because Musetti has been on the court a lot longer than Rude has in this event. But give me one uh, minus one and a half sets here. I think that he's going to win this one probably in straight sets. I do like the under 23.5, though, at minus 145. A couple ways to get there, uh, mostly with a player obviously winning in straight sets. But in theory, you could have a miracle draw where Musetti gets it done in straight. And I'm completely wrong, but you still win your under, even though the underdog ended up coasting when he thought the favorite would coast, which does happen on occasion. But I do think Rude's going to win, probably in straight sets. He's just in much better form. Now, moving on to the next match, you have a very fun one. You have Rublev taking on Sarandolo, and Sarandolo is the defending champion at this event. Now, Rublev is minus 160. You have Sarandolo at plus 140. As For the over under, that's at 22 and a half and minus 110 on each side. And if you want to get the spread, Surundalo plus plus two and a half is minus 113, Rublev minus two and a half is minus 107. The alt line here, Surundalo plus plus three and a half is minus 155, and Rublev minus three and a half is plus 125. If you want the match to go to three sets, you can get that at plus 125. A uh, Rublev to win in straight sets is mine is a plus 160. So Surundalo to win a set is minus 200. Now to look at the actual head-to-head between them, Surundalo is actually one and zero. So Surundalo has had some success against Rublev in the past. They faced off on clay in Hamburg last year, and Surundalo destroyed Rublev. Won that one 6-4, 6-2. To go through the actual path though for both players so far, Surundalo is a good. He ended up beating Van Ash. Uh, Van Ash- uh, six two six three in his first match, and then ended up beating Coria six three six three. Don't let the scoreline fool you, though. That match was very competitive early on as neither player could hold serve. Sarandolo figured it out. Coria kind of ran out of gas, and Sarandolo just wore down Coria over time in route to it. it looked like a very easy win. Now, Rublev has also not dropped a set. He ended up winning in straight sets against Kotov. Did go to a breaker, but still won that one in straight sets. And then he destroyed Zverev in the Friday match 6-2, 6-3. Wasn't even close. Rublev looked really good. Now, for the sake of... The actual preview for betting purposes, I think there's value on Sarandolo. Now, I know that Rublev, once again, looked really good against Verev. I have to point that out. Sarandolo, though, is the defending champion, and I know that his firepower can definitely match Rublev, at least on occasion, to a draw in that aspect. So I can see a world where this match is very close I'm going to lean to the over because I do think that you can see each player win a set. But has looked really comfortable, and the fact that he's a defending champion does give me some extra confidence in him to get the job done. I'm more confident in like Ramos Finolas to win against Kikmanovic, but I do think when you're looking at this match breakdown, these players match up pretty evenly because stylistically they're kind of similar. Now, they look different when they play, but both players aim for a lot of powerful shots. They try to blow their opponent off the court. And I do think what you're going to end up seeing happen is each player have moments rocketing four hands at 80-plus and 90-plus miles per hour, and it cancels out. Now, I am going to lean to the over because of it, but I also am going to take the plus two-and-a-half games for Sorondolo in this match. I don't know if I actually think he's going to win, but I do think getting two-and-a-half games. We know Rublev is, once again, a really good player, but his level can fluctuate at times, and I do think that Sorondolo can definitely match Rublev's intensity because of his comfort on the court and the fact that Sarandolo has won a couple tournaments this year, uh, including a grass tournament. So Sarandolo has looked comfortable in general, and he has kind of made a semi-leap with his overall game. I think that Sarandolo is pretty live here, so I'll lean to Sarandolo, and I will lean to the plus two and a half games with him against Rublev. Now moving over to the final two matches, you have Newport, and you have a battle between the French to lead off at 1 p.m. Eastern time you've Manorino taking on Umber is minus 120 on the money line Umber is plus 100 for the for the actual total games 22 and a half is minus 120 to the over the under is even money if you want to take the match to go to three sets you can get that at plus 115 now to look at the actual head to head in their careers Manorino and Umber uh have faced off against each other a total of twice And it's been a split. In fact, Manorino won the meeting in 2018 on hardcourt, as that one ended up being a 6-2, 6-4 win. And they faced off in the French Open this past year, so basically a month ago, a couple weeks ago, and Umber won that one in straight sets. Now, does that matter? Not really, because Manorino's best service is grass, so I'm not sure if it truly matters. But now, to go through the actual path of both players... Umber has cruised. He beats Steve Johnson 6'4-6-4 and beat Kevin Anderson 6'264. So he ended up beating up on a couple of older players. I'm not going to fully insult Anderson, who actually won a couple of matches and looked pretty good. Johnson is on retirement's door at this point. So that was a competitive match. But once again, I'm not overly impressed by beating Steve Johnson in straight sets. As for Manorino, though. He ended up beating Hichikata in straight set 6-3, 6-4, and then he ended up having a three-set battle against Thompson. Now, Thompson entered the event in great form. He ended up winning his first match 6-0, 6-1 against Kovacevic. He looked really good. I thought Thompson was going to win the tournament because he ended up beating Brody right after that as well, very convincingly. Man Arena won the first set 6-0. Then he was uh, up a pretty decent amount into the second set. I believe he was up two breaks. I think he was up two breaks, and he choked it, and Thompson ended up winning the second set 7-6, but then Manorino regained his nerve and won the final set 6-2. So the point is Manorino beat up on a guy that was looking really, really sharp, and I do think that Manorino's in better form. Now, for us, we're rooting for Umber because we have Umber to win the event at plus 900, but I really did think in the back of my mind, whoever won that Manorino-Thompson match was going to win the event. And that does seem like that's how the actual script has unfolded because you had Paul lose, for example, and you've had a couple of players who were somewhat favorites lose early. So for me, I'm going to go with Manorino to get the job done. I do think this line is too short. I think Manorino should be a bigger favorite based on how comfortable he is on grass. And I do think that Umbear, even though he just beat Manorino on clay, Grass is a totally different animal, and that's definitely going to be Manorino's best surface. Manorino's fine on clay. He's not really amazing on it, to be honest. So that doesn't really wow me as a win, and that means nothing for the sake of this match in terms of the French Open victory for Umbert. So give me Manorino on the money line at minus 120. I just think he's the better grass player. Umbear is still volatile, and Manorino plays such a unique style with his junk ball hitting strategy. I do think that he'll be able to force or induce a lot of unforced errors from him So give me Manorino potentially in three sets, but I'll play it safe and just take the money line at minus 120 as my favorite bet there. And for the last one, you have an old player against a young player, perhaps a changing of the guard for U.S. men's tennis. You have Isner taking on Mickelson. Now, Isner is more than twice the age of Mickelson because Mickelson is 18 years old and Isner is a lot older than 18 years old isner is in fact 38 years old so a little bit more than double the age here isner making it to a semi on one hand is a bit shocking because he looked that bad in wimbledon when munar beat him in really convincing fashion now it is a bit different here because isner has won this event multiple multiple times so i don't want to say you can name the event after him but isner has always been very comfortable in newport so him doing well here isn't an insane shock. I was shocked he came back from a set down against Tommy Paul on Friday, but he had a ni- he did a nice job. Of course, his serve is a massive weapon. Mickelson is the complete unknown because nobody ever heard of him, and then he was able to beat the defending champion here in the first round as he ended up beating Cressy in three sets. Then he was able to beat Duckworth from a set down, won the final set 6-0, and then he beat McDonald 6-3, 6-3, which was very impressive. I thought McDonald would probably win that one, but Mickelson looked good. As for Isner, went to three sets against Bolt, ended up beating Moutet 6'3", 6'4". Nothing Moutet could do. He's five foot nine. He had no chance of actually uh, breaking, basically, in the Isner match. And then Isner had the comeback against Paul. I am concerned about it for fatigue because Paul, Diga- Paul and Isner went to a final set tiebreaker. And I am concerned about the uh, recovery process there for Isner with no time off and with his age. But I do think when you're looking at how these players match up, Mickelson is not nearly as good of a server as Isner. Obviously, Isner's arguably the best server of all time. However, when you're looking at Mickelson and what he can do well, he is 6'4". So he definitely can get a racket on a lot of these serves, which helped him against Cressy because he was able to redirect a couple of maybe unreachable returns for a lot of guys. And keep him in play. And we know that if you force Isner to hit extra shots, it's probably going to work in your favor. Having said that, I really have a hard time going against Isner for the sake of who I think is going to win this match because Isner, once again, is that comfortable at Newport and he's a champion multiple, multiple times. I do think eventually Mickelson's Cinderella run will run out. The crazy part about the Mickelson story, which I didn't realize, which I'm sure some people only found out about yesterday, including myself, is the fact that Ryan Harrison is actually Mickelson's coach. Maybe you remember Harrison, who was actually a pretty decent U.S. player, but I didn't realize that he was a coach, and apparently he's done a good job because Mickelson is in a semi in an ATP event. But I do think when you're looking at how these players match up, I am going to lean to Isner on the money line at minus 135. However, my favorite play in this match will be the over at 23 and a half. Can I see a world where there are no breaks? Yes. Can I see a world where there's three sets? Yes. There's a couple ways to get there. I wish it was at 23 flat. I feel a lot better at 23 flat because I do want that insurance policy. But I do think when you're looking at where this match is probably headed, probably at least one breaker and you're probably going to end up seeing a very, very intense serve battle between these players. And I think as a result, you might see potentially an unpredictable match where it goes three. But for the sake of this match, I do like the over 23 and a half games. I think you'll see a bit of a marathon here in terms of just holds of serve. And I think that will result in a lot of games. So that's going to wrap it up for the six matches for Saturday. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. But before we get into that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're also brought to you by Circus Sports. Circa Millions and Circus Survivor are back. $14 million in guaranteed prizes up for grabs. Circa Millions is pretty simple. Five NFL picks against the spread each week. There's a leaderboard, and depending on how well you do, you can make yourself some serious money. On top of that, Circus Survivor is a different but fun way to get in on the NFL action. Pick a different moneyline winner each week. You cannot use once again the same team twice, and whoever's the last team standing or last person standing ends up winning the grand prize. Or if multiple Multiple people do make it to the end of the season. Then you chop whatever the grand prize is. On top of that, you can enter in Vegas, but play from anywhere using a proxy. And Sports Game Podcast will be out there last weekend in August. So stop by and say hi to the gang. CircusSports.com for all the details. CircusSports.com. What would you do? If you end up winning all that money, possibilities are endless. I'd probably go on vacation. i travel a lot, maybe buy a ticket to the Super Bowl. We'd see. But the point is, it would be a lot of fun to, of course, get in on the action by winning. And for me, the picks that I'll look at for Survivor... There's a lot of potential options. Once again, the season's so far out there. I would fade the Cardinals, just simply put, with Kyler being on the shelf, and we know Arizona's got the lowest win total of any team. I'd probably just fade the Cardinals, play it safe. There's different philosophies when it comes to Survivor, where some people try to save the best teams for last, others try to just get the best teams out of the way because you have more faith in them. I'm more of an option B guy. I'd rather just try to survive as long as possible and worry about the planning after. But I do think taking the commanders in the first game at home against the Cardinals is worth a look because the Cardinals should be a mess. So that would be my thoughts for the week one of Survivor. But once again, get it on the action at Circus Sports. circusports.com for all of the details. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Best Ball Mania 4 is here, and Underdog Fantasy is giving away $15 million in prizes. Underdog Pick'em is also another great way to get down your favorite MLB and college baseball player props. So many ways to win over at Underdog, and it's active in so many states. Head over to UnderdogFantasy.com use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. It's UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the six semifinal matches taking place on Saturday. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock for the show, I am actually going to go back to that final match that I talked about between Isner and Mickelson. And I'm going to go with a player prop in this one. I'm going to go with Isner over 12 and a half games won individually at minus 145 on DraftKings. Simply put, I think it's a great deal. You're looking at the projected result for this match at least one tiebreaker maybe can go either way but the point is there's a couple ways to actually win this bet if you take Isner over 12 and a half because if you get one breaker which Isner wins then you win in a bunch of different ways if Isner ends up winning 7-6 6-4 you win 7-6 7-6 you win even if it goes to three sets let's say Isner ends up winning the first set 7-6 and he loses the next two sets uh for example 6-3 6-3 you still win because that gets you to 13. So there's a couple ways to get there, but 12 and a half for a player game total when you're expecting a tiebreaker at least one bare minimum in this match. I think that's a great price, and I do think that's a great deal. I'm shocked this actual player games is not set at 13 and a half. Now, of course, if Mickelson wins in straight sets, you just lose, but I think you're more likely get to get Isner to win at least one set, probably a breaker thrown in there, and if that's the case, you're looking at him potentially winning in three, which is basically an automatic winner for the sake of this prop. It actually is an automatic winner if it goes three, unless there's a 6-0 in there, which is not going to happen. Or he can once again win in three if he ends up going to a breaker, for example, and loses and then racks up a bunch of other games in there or gets to a breaker and wins. So I am going to go with the over 12 and half games for Isner on the player prop of minus 145. That price just seems way off and the line's way off. I think it should be closer to 13 and a half. So give me Isner over 12 and a half games on the team total at minus 145 as my lock. And for my dog, I'm going to go with the early match. Actually, it's going to be in a matchup between Kekmanovic and Ramos Vinolas. And for this one, don't fix what isn't broken. I'm going to go with the three set wizard here. I'm going to go with the over two and a half sets at plus 135. I really just can't turn down the over two and a half sets at that big of a plus money price. When Ramos Fanoulos only goes to three sets, it's what he does. He's gone to three sets in each of the first three matches in this event. He even went to three sets in one of the clay events leading up to this one in uh, Italy. He went to three against Darty, which he lost, but you can go back to his clay results and he's constantly involved in three set matches. It's what he does. And it does seem like Ramos Vanolas constantly tries to conserve energy because he's older. So he might win a first set, then kind of coast in the second set, and then wake up again for the third. Or maybe he'll lose the first one, wake up for the second one, and go from there. But the point is, Kekmanovic also went to three against Bergs in the last match he was in. So It's not like he's been nails in his own right. I could see a marathon match here, but it's mostly backing Ramos Van to do what he always does, which is find himself in a deciding set. Give me the over two and a half sets in that match at plus 135. So once again, the lock and dog picks for the show. The lock's going to be Isner. Over 12 and a half personal games at minus 145 on DraftKings, and the dog will be Ramos Finolas and Kikmanovic over two and a half sets at plus 135. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the 10 Scaling Podcast. I'll be back once again on Saturday for the final matches in those three tournaments. So keep an eye out for that. Got three matches to preview for Sunday, which we will be doing at some point on Saturday. But until then, find me on Twitter, Red Show Radio. Find me on the other podcasts, the NBA podcast, the MLB podcast, the WNBA podcast. I will be doing an episode with Terrell for the WNBA uh, at some point Saturday morning, probably around 10.30. So keep an eye out for that Eastern time. Until next time, though, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.